Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to Oh My Pod. Hopefully today you learn a lot because we are talking about injectables. This is a hot topic because I actually have Botox alert newsflash. Um, I feel like a lot of people don't know that and I have no shame in sharing that. And so I always hear my coworkers ask about it. I hear my friends ask about it. My family asks about it. And I figured, you know what, why don't we break down the walls of stigma of getting injectables and actually talk about what they can do for you, how they work, the different types you should look into if you're interested. And I figured who better than a professional that actually does mine. So today we have Michelle Shetty here from Spa Derma in Chicago, and she's going to be telling us all about what we need to know about facial fillers, lip injections, you know, how to get those Kylie Jenner lips or not get them. And again, anything you want to know, she's here to answer. So welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. How did you end up at Spa Derma? So that is kind of a fun story, actually. I have been a nurse for almost nine years now, and I kind of started as a patient myself. So I was working in a very different environment in a cardiac ICU, and I went and got Botox for the first time. And I thought it was really cool the way it worked and what small doses could do to change your face and improve your skin. But I didn't feel actually with that treatment that I was well educated on what to expect and if I didn't like something, what could be done. So I kind of put that in my back pocket and continued working. and. I think like a lot of women um, in any business, you meet someone and you find a mentor and it kind of goes that way. So one of my patients at the hospital, um, who was a sweet little toddler waiting for a heart transplant, (laughs) her mom was a nurse injector um, working for a plastic surgeon in Chicago. So she was talking to me a lot about it and getting into it. And she told me that as a thank you for taking care of her daughter, she would train me once Ava got her heart transplant. So she trained me and a couple nurses, um, and we had a great time learning and really educating ourselves about it. So once we had some experience, um, I applied to a few jobs and wound up at Spotterma in Lincoln Park. That's so awesome. And I know there's a lot of Um, I guess titles that you can have, you know, I've heard people say only go to a certified plastic surgeon or a nurse injector. What are all the different titles and what do they all mean? Like, What should you look for? So it varies by state who is legally allowed to inject you. Um, In Illinois, you have to be at a minimum a registered nurse, but you could also be a nurse practitioner, a physician's assistant or a doctor. Um, and some states allow, do not allow RNs to inject, and some, um, I think, might even let specially trained estheticians do it. Wow. But I would recommend you're at least going to a registered nurse, someone who has advanced training in this field, um, someone who you can ask who their medical director is, what doctors train them, who's ordering the medication itself. So, um, you know, going to someone's home can be completely legit, but I think you have some questions that you're going to want answered in that situation. Right. And you focus on injections only, correct? And Spoderma, you can't get a boob job or a nose job or anything at Spoderma. It's just injections and other skin treatments. Correct. So med spas have um, a licensed physician that runs them and so, or a nurse practitioner um, in 2018, that law just changed. So someone who can prescribe um, right laser therapies for you, right medications, um, because Botox is a medication, Dysport is a medication, and the fillers are um, need to be ordered by a physician as well. So, but yes, it's not a plastic surgery center. So a med spa is, is a little bit of a step down. If you're looking for plastic surgery, then you should be going to a plastic surgeon. Right, and certified people don't go 
get a group on for boob job. Correct. That sounds insane. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the different facial fillers that people can get. I think the most common one that people hear is Botox. What are other, I think you said it before, Dysport, what are some other names and what do they all do? Can you break that down for us? Sure. So I think one of the reasons that injectables have such a bad stigma is because no one really knows the difference between them, right? You can think of someone, a celebrity who's had bad work done, Mm -hmm. but it's not clear. Is that Botox? Is that filler? Is that plastic surgery gone wrong? Um, And so there's different groups of things. So we kind of group neurotoxins, which are Botox and Dysport into one category, and then facial fillers into another. So Botox and Dysport, um, we call them neurotoxins. I think for the purpose of this conversation, I'll mostly just say Botox because it's easier. Right. Um, But that's an important question to be asked your injector too. Do you have Dysport? Do you have a preference? Um, are you actually using Botox on me? Because some injectors won't tell you mm. and will actually use Dysport. So you want to know what's going in your face um, because there are just slight variations to them. So what Botox does, and Dysport's the same way, um, botulinum toxin A is the medication itself um, and it's wrapped in different proteins. So what Botox does is inhibit muscle contraction. So it affects the way that your muscles move together. So the way that I kind of consider your skin is like a piece of paper. I think I've told you this before. Mm -hmm. So if you're folding a piece of paper over and over in the same place, at some point, it's going to get a crease in it. So even then, when you're not making the expression or you're not making the face, you're going to see a line there, even at rest. So that's when I tell my patients, this is when you can start thinking about getting Botox, right? A 15-year-old is going to have, you know, be able to give frown lines and raise their eyebrows and make um, forehead wrinkles. However, when they relax their face, those lines are going to disappear. Mm-hmm. So when you're starting to see the lines etch into the skin or crease a little bit into the skin, you know, we'd like to start preventing those from getting worse. And if I can, you know, what Botox does is it doesn't fill the line. Mm-hmm. It actually prevents the fold of the paper. So that's one way you can think about the Botox. It is preventative. And I think... People used to call bullshit on that, you right. know, oh, you're just saying it, but truly it is, right? If we never fold the paper, it never creases. And there are varying degrees to whether it folds at all and you're frozen, as some mm-hmm. people say, or maybe if we just weaken it enough that we're getting some nice prevention, but you can still appear completely natural. So with a Botox treatment, you're not actually changing the structure of your face. You shouldn't look different at rest. You right. should just look like you but something kind of smoother about your forehead or your frown lines or your crow's feet where people are saying, you know, my goal for my patients is that people start saying things like, oh, did you get new makeup or moisturizer? Mm -hmm. Your skin just looks great. And they can't quite put their finger on it because we retain a normal amount of expression. We don't, you know, run the risk of dropping brows and making things look funny when we do it conservatively. And that is the reason I went, because I heard it on a podcast, and then I did research, and I talked to my friends that had Botox, and it really was preventative, because I was definitely in the camp of, that's BS, I need to wait until I have very deep lines. I was extremely uneducated, like you said, I thought it would just fill the lines, so in my mind, I was like, I'll wait till I'm, whatever, 32 plus to actually start seeing lines, and then I realized what you said, it's preventing those lines from even happening, so that's why I started early. I think people get really hooked on the age like oh my gosh you started when you were 26 when I've heard people start when they were 23 I know girls that have started when they were 21 so do you recommend a certain age I think for me it was just that's when I found out about it and started doing research and I might maybe would have started sooner because I'm so expressive but is there like a limit that you recommend in terms of like a minimum age so 
typically, I don't think people are really seeing those fine lines at rest until they're in their late 20s, early 30s, if you're lucky, early Mm -hmm. 30s. Um, But a lot of factors go into the way your skin ages. So some of it is if you're super expressive, that might be one of it, um, part of it. But uh, your sun exposure and smoking have a lot to do with how your skin ages as well. Mm -hmm. So even though I probably... You know, early 20s is probably the earliest I really injected for deep lines. Um, And most of those patients, I I like to do my own little studies and find out why people have lines, where they do, and and at what age. Most of my patients who need Botox truly truly are candidates for for Botox in their early 20s are coming from Arizona and Florida where they've had a lot of sun exposure Mm -hmm. or played soccer all their lives and were outside a ton or something like that. So it, it has a lot to do with sun exposure. But I don't think there's a hard and fast rule. I think, you know, when you are starting to see the lines is when to come in. Right. Um, and like you were saying, you thought you had to wait till you're much older. And in fact, at that point, you're not going to get necessarily as much bang for your buck, right? If you wait till you're 45 and some of these lines are very deep, sure, I can prevent them from getting deeper. But if you have deep ones already... I can't just make those go away. So I tell some of my patients, okay, we can we can get some prevention, but now you're going to have to invest in some more like intense repair treatments. Right. So whether that's you're getting chemical peels or laser treatments or some facials or starting a retinol regimen that you haven't started before, you know, these things can work kind of synergistically where you're preventing on one end and repairing on the other. But Botox isn't a fix-all for everything. Right. And I think people get confused on Botox and the freezing and the housewife face because they're like, or they get confused about me. They're like, you have Botox? I'm like, yeah, it's preventative. I wanted smoother lines, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, wow, I I didn't know. Or like, why did you get it? And and they think of like, I'm thinking of like Vicky Gumbelson from the housewives that looks totally bosh. Those ladies don't just have Botox. They have probably a million fillers that they've done for 10 plus years, probably neck lifts, facelifts, getting different treatments all the time, overdoing it. And I think at that point, if you're going to overdo it at that age, that's when you can tell. Right. So that's why I'm like, that's why I got it early because I don't want to be 40 and all of a sudden my face is completely Completely frozen back or something. People are like, okay, now you literally have a new face. Right. This is like you said, it does not change my face. I honestly don't think anyone would know if I didn't tell them, but I like to be open about it. And to your point, people are like, you have great skin. I'm like, it's probably my Botox. So I don't think people need to be scared of, oh my gosh, I'm getting Botox. I'm going to look like a housewife or frozen or something like that because it's really not what you're doing. You're not changing your face. You're not, unless you're going to someone that's I don't know, injecting you like crazy. I can't imagine that happening, that you would completely restructure your face. No, and, and you, yeah, there are, you know, risks that your injector should talk to you about. Um, but for Botox, they're pretty minimal. And like I said, you shouldn't look different. And if someone's telling you you're too young for it, I mean, what they're really saying is they like the way you look. Right. So it is a compliment. I have a lot of patients who don't tell their boyfriends or their husbands mm-hmm. that they get it done. And that's fine. That's their choice. Because I think men, you know, if he's saying, I love the way you look, and he doesn't want you to look different, that's a nice thing. But you can do what you want to do in terms of self-care to prevent things. I think investing in your face is never a bad idea. Right. And to me, when people want to judge me, it's the same thing. as like, what do you mean? We dye our hair with chemicals to make Mm -hmm. it a different color. 
Yeah. That's you're literally altering your hair. I'm just altering my skin, right? My face. It's quite a different concept, but at the same time, not really. So it's how you want to look at it, but I don't think it should be so stigmatized. Like, you, oh my gosh, I can't believe you injected something in your face. It's like, I also put bleach on my hair. So agreed. How are you going to look at it? But it was um, an interesting shift for me, even as a healthcare provider, whereas, you know, I used to walk around and people would say, what do you do? And I say, I'm a nurse. And they'd say, where? I'd say, oh, pediatric cardiac ICU. That was something to be really proud of. And I have no shame in the fact that I get Botox and fillers myself. Right. But it, for a moment, sometimes you have a hesitation when people are like, oh, you're a nurse, what do you do? And you say, I inject Botox and fillers. And somehow they think that makes you less of a medical provider. Right. Um, where it's still a very you know, specific skill set. If anything, that to on. me, that's the scariest. It's your face. You have right. to know about your eyes and where you're injecting and the muscles. I mean, that's not something that you just take an online course and start injecting no. people. Um, something I want to talk about is going maybe from the top of the face down. So I get Botox on my forehead lines. And then can you explain where other places are, like the crow's feet, where that is, the glabella, am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. What that is so people actually know what these mean when they go in? Yep. So a lot of people come in for foreheads, and foreheads is kind of a catch-all too. Um, as injectors, we separate the forehead into two areas. So you have your frown lines, which are the lines that come in between your brows. So for most people, those are two vertical lines, sometimes one, sometimes three. Other people get a little horizontal etched in line right between their brows as well. And that whole area, what we say medically, is the glabella area. So those muscles pull down and in to give you frown lines. So when you're squinting in the bright lights or you're focused at the computer, something like that, you're kind of making this frowny face, you see those lines come in. So injecting those muscles that pull down and in kind of relaxes them, right? As I said, we're weakening their ability to do their job. We don't want that paper to fold and crease. And so actually it can support the brows a little bit more. It relaxes up, mm -hmm. can give them a little bit of a lift. So a lot of patients come to me asking for a brow lift. Um, and so that's one of the areas I will definitely do if someone wants to get a lift out of their brows. Um, we also inject the forehead like you and I were talking about. So those would be the horizontal lines above the frown lines that happen when you raise your brows up high. So when you see that, you raise up high and you see all those lines, that's the paper folding that way. So injecting into your forehead is going to prevent those lines from coming in as well. But that's where I think you really need to have a conversation with your injector as to what look you're trying to achieve. Are you someone who really likes it to be very smooth and you're not worried about raising your eyebrows that much? Or is this your first time and you don't want anyone to know and you want to have expression? So in terms of dosing and placement, your injector should be able to work with you on that. And I really pride myself on doing conservative treatments where people don't know. Um, I also pride myself on really tailoring the treatments to each individual. Whereas I think if you go to other places, they do the same treatment for everyone who wants their forehead done. And I don't think that gives as optimum of results for each individual patient because if your forehead's much taller or much shorter or you have, you know, certain susceptibilities to brows, you know, getting heavy or something like that, then we want to pay attention and avoid it as much as possible. So the forehead's one area, the crow's feet's another. So your eyes, um, to the sides of your eyes, your eye muscles, the, the orbicularis oculi that we inject is actually a circle muscle. It wraps around oh. your eye and it squeezes down and in when you smile really big or when you close your eyes really tight and it sends those lines kind of radiating out from the corners of your eye. So injecting that muscle, a lot of people get nervous about it. It's a very safe place to inject as long as your injector knows where they're going, right. which everyone should, I'm going <laughs> to assume. 
And so it just can soften those lines. And if you're someone who wants a little bit of a brow lift, that actually can help lift the tail of the brow as well. So those two areas together, if you're trying to achieve a brow lift, are really going to help out. Now, your injector should talk to you about if you want a brow lift but you have deep forehead lines, you know, you can't always have your cake and eat it too because if we're weakening the lift of the forehead muscle, it could compromise a little bit of the lift you get from your brow. So every treatment should be customized to what your goals are, in my opinion. Definitely. I was going to say... The mistake I made before I went to you, and I know you basically wanted to probably strangle my neck when I came in, was I got a group on and went to a med spa, and I noticed it faded really quickly, and then I realized we didn't have any type of consultation of, like, do I want a brow lift? Do I want this? It was more of, like, I'm trying to get rid of this and this, and he basically said something like, we'll just see how it looks, and and then maybe in three months we can just do it different next time. And I was like, we'll just see how it looks. Like, I understand you you can't visualize exactly how it's going to look, but shouldn't you be able to customize it up front? And to your point, you said yes. So when I came to you, I think it's because I noticed after that first time, I was like, that didn't last long. One eyebrow was like a little bit higher than the other. Granted, no one could tell. I look at myself every day. So I, I knew that I was like, I feel like for what I paid, this doesn't make sense. I should get a more tailored treatment went to you and then you actually explained what on earth are you talking about you should definitely be able to tailor this i don't know what they meant and basically you were saying they basically they just give everyone a blanket treatment and not all foreheads are equal is what you're saying correct that's exactly (laughs) what i'm saying um and then something i want to talk about too is going um when you're injecting the crow's feet or maybe it's the eyebrows i've heard about like drooping when can that happen? Like, why does that happen? So I think people use the words like my my eyebrow was droopy or my eyelid was droopy a little bit loosely. So in very rare cases, you can actually have an eyelid ptosis where um, some of the Botox, typically actually from injecting for frown lines, oh, wow. and like follows a channel and enters a muscle that it shouldn't and can actually affect how the eyelid raises. It's exceedingly rare, and your injector should know how to avoid it. I've never had it happen to me, knock on wood. Um, and there are some eye drops you can take to, to help as that wears off. Um, so that's a true ptosis. is very different from someone who got a lot of Botox in their forehead and now can't really raise their eyebrows up at all Mm. and so they feel very heavy or they look a little heavy because they can't lift. Got it. So that's kind of, you know, the heavy brow feeling is, or my eyebrow got droopy. It's more, you got a lot of Botox in your forehead or too much or too injected too low and now you've just lost the ability to lift altogether. And in certain people who have heavy lids at baseline, the people whose parents got very early, you know, got their eyes done, as we say, um, those people are going to be a little bit more susceptible to that and you can be able to kind of point that out to them. Listen, I'm going to inject you very conservatively because I think you're at risk for this um, and we're not going to be able to give you, you know, have your cake and eat it too. I can't knock out all your forehead lines and still like make you feel bright and refreshed because I would run the risk of you feeling like you felt more tired. Right. If that happens, it's typically pretty short time period that you know you feel heavy it's not the whole duration of your treatment which is typically three months um it's usually just you know a couple weeks but it can be very annoying and and to your point i think it's your face right you said other people might not notice but it mattered to you and it should matter to you it's your Mm -hmm. face and it should matter to your injector right they should take this seriously even if they do a hundred of them a day you know your people are paying good money and right. this is how you show your face to the world. So I think it matters. And I always tell my patients who say, I'm nervous. This is my first time. 
don't be nervous. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't apologize for being nervous. You can be nervous because this is your first time doing something to your face. And I want to honor that the best I can and right. say, like, that's legitimate. And I was nervous, too, but you're in good hands. And we'll talk through this. Yeah. Um, Botox is currently on label, um, just so we can be clear. <laughs> Um, The FDA has approved Botox for your frown lines and your forehead. Um, Forehead was 2018 and your crow's feet. Um, Dysport is currently only approved, I believe, for your frown lines, but don't quote me on that. Um, But more things coming. We use it a lot of other places, though. So, you know, there's... We do Botox in bunny lines, so we call those the lines that come up on your nose when you squish your nose up. Some people are more likely to do that. Um, I can put Botox in the chin for someone who has a very dimply chin um, when they kind of activate it. Um, I can do a Botox lip flip, which is kind of a new thing that's coming around where you put small doses of Botox in the upper lip just above it, um, which kind of makes it appear a little bit more full. Um, It's not something you should do if you are a singer or, Mm. you know, you play the flute or something like that because it does weaken your ability to purse just a little bit. Um, And it's a short-term treatment. So whereas most of your Botox treatments should last you about three months, this is going to last you six to eight weeks. But it can be a fun kind of just try if you're interested in lip filler before you like bite the bullet yeah (laughs) um and then when you're talking about like actually transforming someone's face and reshaping it then we're starting to talk about fillers so fillers all the fillers i use in my office are made of hyaluronic acid which is something you actually naturally have in your skin Um, but this would be a synthetic form that comes as a gel and so as you age you know you you lose um, elasticity to your skin, you you lose collagen, you lose hyaluronic acid naturally, and so, and gravity takes its toll as well. So these nice, tight, big fat pads you used to have in your face that sit high up on your cheeks, everything starts to kind of head south. Mm -hmm. Um, And things can just look a little heavy on the bottom. People start complaining of jowls, of their eyes looking really sunken in, of this line between your nose and the corner of your mouth, which we call nasolabial folds. Yep. Um, and so that's kind of things coming down. And filler then is used to restore volume to an area that's lost volume. Got it. So that's when you're really talking about changing someone's face a little bit, restructuring it. Um, or what I like to do more so is just restoring it. So mm-hmm. I don't need to change how you look, but maybe restore you to how you looked five years ago. Right. When your cheeks were just a little bit higher and had more support or you had a little less shadow in one area. Uh, we're doing some things now where we're tweaking a little bit and giving people a little bit more contour to the sides of their cheekbones. Um, that's kind of in right now or a little bit more projection of their chin. Mm-hmm. Um, but And I would say the majority of my filler is lip filler, which I'm sure we'll get to. Yes. <laughs> so, But that's when you're starting to, to change the shape of things. But you can also, it can be done in a way that looks very natural where right. people are saying, oh, you look like you slept really well or mm-hmm. what are you doing now? So... The restoration piece versus changing who you are, I think, right. is an important thing. And you can also get a sense from that when you actually look at your injector. Who is injecting you? Yeah. What do they look like? Do they look weird? Do they look overfilled? Are their cheeks, like, popping out so far you don't know where they start and end? Like, oh, my gosh, who has the worst? Courtney Cox, our cat, I think. Really, yeah, I really think she got one. it dissolved, actually. Thank God. Yeah. Poor, um, I don't know. Is it? It's not. Aubrey O'Day. Oh, oh my gosh, she, she was is bad. like her face is swollen. 
Like, it just looks insane. There was someone on the Golden Globes last week who's usually so beautiful, and she has just done something terrible to herself. Uh, It'll come to me. (laughs) So look at your injector and make sure they look opposite of that. Right. And also talk to your injector about what they would do if you didn't like the outcome, right? So all the fillers I use in my office are dissolvable and pretty quickly dissolvable. I was going to ask about that. So, you know... I take comfort in the fact that nothing I do is actually permanent. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and if you want a permanent result, then absolutely go to a plastic surgeon, get something done, and get it done well. But you, you should not be having anyone who you don't, haven't vouched for and researched really right. closely do anything to you that's permanent, in my opinion. And you want to know, you know, there are some risks associated with filler, and you want to know that your injector and your provider has a plan in place should that happen. How are they going to deal with complications? Can they dissolve it right then and there if they need to? Yeah, that's something that I loved about coming to you is you are very conservative. And even when I started asking about different parts of my face, because we'll get to that in a second about the fix it mentality, but you're like, no, we're not doing that right now. You could have easily been like, oh my gosh, let's book 20 more appointments within the next 10 days because, I mean, that is money for you and the company, but that's not something that I'm basically a walking billboard for you. Right. So I probably don't want to go out looking like a balloon and then have your name associated with that, which I assume is why you go with that approach. Absolutely. Um, And then the dissolving piece was definitely important to me because, you know, a lot of people do freak out. Like, what if I don't like this? You can dissolve it. Something I want to talk about is the actual product because what we discovered, maybe why mine dissolved so quickly from that group on one was you said maybe they watered it down. How can you ensure that you're going to a place that doesn't water solutions down or how can you tell just how quickly it fades? Not always, actually. Uh So the... What people get confused by is the fact that actually Botox comes as a powder. Mm. So it has to have saline added to it to make it injectable. Right. Um, And there are ways to do that. So if I'm injecting someone with a concentration of one to one, I'm going to put one milliliter into that vial, and I'm going to know for every tick mark on my syringe, I'm giving them one unit. So there's, that's what we call reconstituting a medication. This is done with tons of different medications, antibiotics, all sorts of things that a pharmacist would do. Um, and so we're reconstituting it to a certain formula. Now, if someone is injecting, say, 1.25 milliliters of water into that same vial and then calling it one-to-one, mm. then technically every little push they're giving you is a little less concentrated than one you know, unit poor little dot. Mm -hmm. So you're getting a little bit less than prescribed. So in that sense, yes, it's diluted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can just have a conversation, I think, with the person you're doing it. How do you reconstitute your Botox would be an excellent question. Someone who um, isn't doing something shady is going to respect that question and is going to say, oh, this is exactly what I do. I use a one-to-one concentration or a two-to-one or a 2.5-to-one as the manufacturer recommends. So you should know the difference and then know that you're getting the correct dose. If I'm telling you I'm putting 10 units somewhere, I'm putting 10 units there. Right. But it is possible for people to try to cut corners a little bit. And in that case, yes, you might not have as good of a result and it might not last as long. However, I would say there are a lot of factors that go into the duration of someone's treatment. So if I've been treating someone with the same dose of Botox for years and years and years, and they have some incredibly stressful life event happen, 
where, you know, a family member dies or they're changing jobs and their metabolism is really revved and they're super stressed out and they've lost a lot of weight in a very rapid amount of time, then sometimes your your Botox can metabolize out more quickly. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Um, same with people who do a lot of hot yoga or run marathons. So if you're changing your lifestyle, that could actually affect the duration of your treatment as well. So... Um, that, that's also a conversation to have if you're someone with a really fast metabolism and you're just really tiny or you love hot yoga or you're a soul cycle instructor then have a conversation with your injector do you have disport do you think that might be a better option for me personally i think disport lasts a little bit longer in my athletes um the way that disport is different than botox it's still botulinum toxin a but it is packaged differently with different proteins um, and so it onsets a little bit quicker and tends to last a little bit longer my goal is to get most of my patients to an every three month treatment cycle mm -hmm. um, and so if your botox is really gone at two months then you neither need to go up on the dose maybe you were very conservative with your dosing well below average and then you should be upping the dose or perhaps you're trying a different product like Dysport that could last a little bit longer. So, you know, I hesitate to say for people to jump to the conclusion that they got a, a bad batch or someone was right. fooling them. Um, but if it isn't lasting you longer than two months, I think, and it's really worn off by then, I think you go back to your injector and you say, hey, I was expecting this to last a little bit longer. Can we talk about maybe why it didn't or what we can do to make it last longer in the first place? If if you're getting weird vibes about it at all or they're getting very defensive, then maybe your gut's correct and something wasn't done well. But otherwise, you know, talk to that injector and they'll give you different ideas as to how to make it better. Some people require a lot higher doses and that's all you have to do is go up by a few right. units and, and it lasts that's longer. Good. Yeah. You brought up another question that I didn't even realize is how does it go away? I always thought maybe it was just how expressive you were, but you're saying it's metabolism, mm -hmm. how much you express, any other factors that contribute to what makes it fade? So it, it really is more of the metabolism out of it. The way that Botox works, it attaches to the acetylcholine receptors um, on your nerves, so it inhibits the nerve conduction. Over time, that's just going to get metabolized out like any other drug you take. Um, the How fast your muscle contraction comes back might have to do with how strong they were to begin with, how expressive you are. So I kind of tell my patients, Botox is sort of like taking your muscles out of the gym, mm. right? So if you're like in the gym working out, lifting weights, your muscles are going to get big and strong. And then when you stop going to the gym and work out, they get smaller, they atrophy a little bit more. So if you, during your Botox treatment, almost train yourself out of making a certain face all the time, then when that... Botox wears off, if you're not as expressive, it's not going to become as apparent to you that those lines are coming back quite as quickly. So with re repeated treatments, yeah, that muscle can actually get smaller. That Some people say, wow, I actually don't need as much of a dose. Mm -hmm. I don't need as high of a dose anymore because I've weakened the muscles. They're smaller now. Or, you know, you just aren't as expressive. So right. maybe you can go a little bit longer or something like that. So that all contributes to it. All contributes to it. And I just heard a rumor recently that Kim Kardashian doesn't like to smile because she doesn't want those wrinkles <laughs> so those are other ways if you don't want wrinkles just stop making any expression and become a really cold person apparently right <laughs> it's funny because i have patients who come in and say 
oh, I, my forehead lines aren't bad because my mom always told me from when I was little, don't raise my brows up or else I'm going to have wrinkles. I think that's so funny. My mom was not like that at all. So, yeah. Um, but just to have that awareness that if that paper is folding over and over again, at some point it could crease. Got it. Another really cool area that we're doing Botox um, a lot lately is into the master muscles. So these would be the muscles that you use to chew. And a lot of people get... Um, injected for TMJ, for Mm. clenching, for migraines, something like that. So um, if you're a clencher, then you can actually use Botox to weaken that muscle um, or a grinder at night. Um, I've had people who say, "I'm, I'm going through my night guard so much more quickly now. Putting Botox in those muscles will actually weaken it so you can't grind and clench as much. That makes sense. Um, So that's been so successful with people that people are emailing me saying this is changing my life I'm not waking up with headaches I'm not waking up with jaw pain anymore interestingly though Bethany Frankel kind of made this very popular because she started doing it for facial slimming Mm. so some people actually have big master muscles we call them hypertrophic master muscles where it makes your face really square yeah she has a very square face very square face so when she started getting botox into her masters it actually kind of thinned that mm. that corner back there by your jawbone where now she has a little bit more of a soft shape there and some people use it to get you know a little bit more of a contour right if that muscle is getting smaller and it is really big and it gets a little smaller a lot of people think someone's lost a little weight or has a bit more contour especially if you're adding a little cheek filler in with it so you can do subtle things where you're not looking crazy but you're kind of just enhancing little tweaks contouring right so you're saying it changes the shape of the face because of how much the muscle is not moving anymore essentially and those people who grind and clench at night or carry their stress like that or just born like that yeah that muscle is actually bigger than the normal person's Mm. and you can feel it if you close your mouth and bite your teeth together with your hands on the corners of your cheek you'll feel that muscle when you clench kind Mm -hmm. of pop out and if it's really bounding doing it right now yeah if you're really if you're if it's really bounding you can actually inject there Botox or Dysport and um, off-label and uh, get some reduction in that masseter size and and get a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Oh, my gosh. I want to move down to the next part of the face, your under eyes, because this is something I asked you about. I've heard different stories. Like, I've heard people say, it looks amazing. I don't have those dark circles or I just look more refreshed. And then I've heard people say, literally, they heard something pop and I looked bruised. I've heard or I've seen people look like they got stung by a bee because it looks like they did too much. (laughs) And so then it just looks like a swollen face. What are your thoughts on the under eye filler and when are you a candidate for that? So under eyes are a tricky spot because a lot of people don't like their under eyes because of the color under their eyes, right? If you Mm -hmm. have like a blueness shadow to your under eyes, that, you know, under eyes are tricky. It's a combination of a lot of things, lack of sleep, lymphatic drainage, venous congestion. So you have lots of little blood vessels up here, veins close to the skin appear, as we know, bluish. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Correcting that with filler just for color correction is not going to be a home run every time. Got it. As we said, filler is a gel. It fills a space. So you actually, we call that area the tear trough. 
you need a trough to fill. You need a little bit of a space or a deficit in volume to put volume back into. And it can look amazing. I actually have it under my eyes right now where you just softly kind of fill that area out. Now, I still use concealer under my eyes because mm-hmm. I just have blue hue. Mm-hmm. But in terms of that trough area is, is, is a little bit more filled. So I think you can use it if you have that trough and you're going to kind of look at the corner of your eye and as it extends down, like kind of like a tear would roll down. Mm-hmm if you could be a candidate for that. If it's nice and full, you don't actually want someone to inject you there. Because like you said, you can look overfilled in that mm-hmm. area. Filler, you know, they're hydrophilic gels, which means they draw water to themselves. So the idea with the under eye is you never want someone to over-treat it or treat it to 100% when they're first injecting you. Because then as the product draws water to itself, you might actually look puffy under your eye. That's definitely what I feel like I've seen people do the wrong way. Right. And so they can, and sometimes if it's injected incorrectly and it's injected too superficially, it can actually look more blue. It's called Tyndall effect. So you want someone who knows where they're injecting and it's not going to inject too much. I don't think it's the best solution for just that crepey skin under your eyes because Mm -hmm. that gets loose when you smile Mm -hmm. um, because you want to be injecting down on the bone. And so I can't inject right under your eye with filler, you know, just because you have a line there. Yeah. The under eyes are probably the one of the highest, you know, areas that people come to me dissatisfied that they can't figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. Because Botox isn't super effective under there. Sometimes a unit or two does help smooth the lines. And sometimes a combination of maybe a unit or two of Botox with a little bit of filler makes a big difference for you. But I don't think it's as of a home run every time Mm -hmm. as, you know, if you just want your lips bigger or something like that. Um, But it definitely can make you look a lot more refreshed. And especially as you age or if you've lost a lot of weight rapidly, the face just drops. And so you can really look hollow around your eyes. And so filler can really fill the space. But like I said, you know, make sure that you are getting, you know, you're not correcting just for a color change and you actually have a space to fill. Yeah, because then, like you said, it looks like you got punched in the eye. It looks like you got punched in the eye. And when you do get treated... You have to be prepared with all my patients for filler. I say, we're not doing this before a big event. Mm -hmm. You need to expect bruising and and swelling because those are real and legitimate, you know, side effects, basically, not even complications. I would expect that to happen to most of my patients. I did this two weeks ago Mm -hmm. and I I used a nice concealer, but would I have done it right before a big event or a wedding when I knew I was going to be swollen and bruised? No. So timing of your filler treatments is one of the number one things you can think about. If you're getting your lips done, you are going to be very swollen the next day. And Mm -hmm. when someone comes to me and wants the most natural lip augmentation, I say, I pride myself on doing these. I love doing natural lips where no one's going to suspect, but tomorrow you're going to look crazy and the next day you're going to look crazy. Mm -hmm. So you have to give yourself some time for your, for your body to like accommodate to these things. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to take a step back before we go to like the nose and the lips and all that and talk about what we haven't talked about yet is units because I didn't know what that meant when you're talking about a measurement of Botox and we use the word units what does that mean like to an average person that's never looked into this units is sort of like milligrams okay um so you know your doctor might prescribe an antibiotic based on your weight and they would give you so many milligrams per dose um so that's just the way that Botox is measured. There are some averages for different areas that you're going to treat. So, for example, I would say the frown lines, the average you know, number of units there is going to be about 20 units. Your forehead, anywhere from maybe 8 to 12 units. Your eyes, anywhere from maybe... 
four to 10 units each side. I mean, they're varying things. And so I tell my patients, you might come with your friend and you might have very different price points. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important thing that you discuss with your injector right up front. What are you comfortable paying? What are they recommending for you? And if that's not in the budget, don't feel bad about it. Have a conversation and either maybe you don't do a certain area or you walk back a little bit on one area or the other. Um, and if they think it's going to be a waste of your money to do so little at some point, then they're just going to tell you, you know, let's just skip the eyes altogether. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I had someone walk into my chair, you know, a few months ago and say, I've never had it before. I'm really nervous and I think I just want to do six. And I was like, six what? Like, <laughs> I would never walk into my doctor and say, you know, I have a sinus infection give me 500. Yeah. (laughs) I, you know, that's not my area of expertise. So I said, you know, I'd rather give you zero than six because I don't think you'll have any result in your frown lines with six based on how strong she was. Mm -hmm. So unless you're willing to start a little bit higher than that, and I can still dose you conservatively, then I'd rather you not waste your money entirely. So listen to the person who's talking to you. Um, You know, some people might just try to sell you on, on the most in every area, but Mm -hmm. it's not always necessary. But, um, you know, you don't also want to be the person who comes in and says, I want 14 units and put this many here and this many there. Got it. Yeah. I'm glad we cleared that up. Yeah. Moving on to the nose, we talked a little bit about the bunny lines, but I've also heard that you can fill areas where you have a bump in your nose. Mm-hmm. Is this true? It is. And it's really cool. Um, I don't actually do this treatment myself because it's a very high-risk area. However, it can be done, and it just takes a little bit of filler, and um, it's pretty quick. And it's not actually filling the hump or, like, Mm. the bump. It's actually filling on the other sides of it to appear straighter. Oh, wow. So tiny little, you know, drops of filler can take a nose that looks totally crooked and straighten it out. It can also help lift the tip of the nose if you're, you know, you kind of have that hook nose to it. It's really cool, but I do recommend that people see, you know, a plastic surgeon or someone really familiar with the vasculature in that area. Um, You know, there are some real risks to filler, including um, blindness. And so that happens most often when filler is being injected very close or into arteries that supply blood to the eyes, which, you know, the arteries that come up close to the bridge of your nose and supply the blood to your eyes. That's kind of why, you know, it's a no-fly zone for me personally. Mm -hmm. And not because I think something would happen, but because I'm just not willing to take that risk on my license. Um, And I think that's every injector's prerogative on what they're comfortable with. And you should know that as a patient, um, what you're comfortable with taking risks. If your nose drives you so crazy and it makes you really self-conscious and you go to someone who's done it a bunch and you know the risks, then you're both kind of agreeing to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm just not going to take that at this point in my career. Right. Yeah. But essentially it's like a non-surgical no-show. It is. It's so cool. And I, you know, my mentor, Amy, she, uh, she gets it done herself by one person. She will let inject her, but she tells everyone else she won't do it herself and she, you know, oh my gosh. and she won't do it. So yeah, uh, it's, it's, it, the effects are really cool though. Yeah. That makes sense. And then going on to the cheeks, I know we talked a little bit about like the contouring and how we can make things slimmer. What are you using there? Like what filler? What is that called? So, you know, Juvederm and Restylin both have basically they're just like Botox and Dysport are kind of competing brands. I kind of say they're like Coke and Pepsi. Got it. There are um, Allergan and Galderma are the, you know, 
the brands that represent Botox and Dysport, they also have their own lines of filler. So Juvederm is made by Allergan, and Restylane products are made by Galderma. And so um, you can put a lot of different things in different areas. The density of the product is going to make a difference, um, the viscosity of it, and kind of where you want something. So something in your cheeks, you're going to want something that almost is very structural, that's going to mimic bone a little bit. My preference tends to be for Voluma. Um, you can use Restylane Lift as well. So that's a very dense product that's going to give you a lot of lift to the cheeks. You wouldn't want that in your lips because it's not going to feel very kissable and soft. Okay. So that's how you kind of choose different products for different areas. Um, and the duration and the cheeks, I think, you know, most of the time you're getting a treatment that lasts you at least a year up to a year and a half. Okay. Um, anything closer to the mouth is going to break down a little bit faster because we use our mouths so much mm-hmm. and things are moving more. But the cheeks, you know, if you're spending a good amount of money on a syringe of filler or two syringes, then you are going to have that investment in your face for a while. So if I wanted higher cheekbones, would I get filler or would I get Botox somewhere so that something lifts the cheekbone. Does that make sense? You'd get filler. Okay. Yeah. Because Botox is just going to basically prevent lines, prevent muscle okay. squeeze. You wouldn't want to be messing with your cheeks or, or those muscles that kind of come near your cheeks when it comes to Botox because those muscles actually help lift your mouth when you're speaking and smiling. So Botox that gets into cheek muscles can actually give you an asymmetric smile or affect the way you speak and talk. Got it. Yep. And I know sometimes when people get cheek fillers, like we were talking about, it can be overdone. And then it looks, it literally looks insane. It looks like um, saw. That's saw carrier. Yes, you're so right. That's exactly (laughs) Um, what it looks like. So what are some like common doses? I know we talked about the forehead, like a 20 for the forehead lines, things like that. What are, what do you recommend for the cheeks if someone just wants like fuller volume? And I'm assuming people come because they have fat loss in their face and want to get some of that plumpness back. Right. So it kind of depends on how full your face is to begin with if you're really thin it actually takes less filler to kind of make a difference right but if you have thicker skin or thicker cheek bones or fat pads it's going to take a little bit more I'd say for your cheeks sometimes we start with one syringe and do like half on each side that's going to be really subtle though Um, I would say most likely you're thinking about two syringes if someone's really off the bat going more than two I'd be I think you could pump the brakes a little bit potentially but it just depends on how much heaviness you have on your lower face how much lift you really need if you just need to fill a little spot where you're getting hollow it's not going to take that much got it um but yeah and and a lot of that's a price discussion as well yeah and I know nasolobial folds are, folds are what my mom basically calls dog flaps <laughs> because they can if they get too deep truly like uh, start to droop down your face and then you start looking like gravity has taken a hold of the middle of your face and what did you say to use there if we wanted to either prevent those or fill them or can you only do one or the other no so you can fill your nasolabial folds if they drive you crazy but i'll tell you that the first thing you should do is put a little volume back in your cheeks Mm. so if you imagine gravity pulling weight down putting weight on that nasolabial fold that fat pad has slipped down so lift, getting a little lift out of your cheeks is going to restore the cheek a little bit mm-hmm. and lift the weight off the nasolabial fold. And potentially you might need less filler there then, 
or you might be really happy with that result because you've you've restored your youth in the upper part of the face and it just lifts the weight back off from the lower part. That makes sense. Um, but you can you can fill the nasolabial folds with Restylane or Juvederm, um, Ultra Ultra Plus. You're not going to use Voluma there. Okay. Um, Restylane just came out with another product called Define that that's working well there. So you have a lot of options, and in that area you can kind of Swiss Army knife. If you're doing your lips, I could use whatever product I'm using in your lips. I could use that to treat that area as well. Um, there's definitely some safety indications your injector should know about, and you should discuss the risks with injecting that area. Um, and maybe your injector uses what we call a cannula, which is not a sharp needle. It's actually like a blunt tip, but the mm-hmm. same kind of size as a needle. It sounds weird, but it's kind of like a really, really skinny straw. And instead of kind of the idea is instead of piercing through blood vessels, it's kind of pushing around them mm-hmm. and has less risk of penetrating a blood vessel and having one having some some go into an artery. So I personally love cannulas in that area. That doesn't mean there's no risk at all. I think right. anytime you're injecting filler in any part of someone's face, you're talking lower risk and higher risk, but nowhere zero risk. Yeah. I think it's time to talk about one of the biggest questions, lip injections. I feel like Kylie Jenner started this trend, but she actually duped us because she told us she overlined her lips. So a lot of beauty YouTubers and Instagrammers started coming out with different tutorials about how to overline your lips. And I remember doing it and I was like, I look so silly because (laughs) I actually have a really sharp Cupid's bow. And I was like, you can definitely tell that I've overlined them. And then it finally came out, oh my gosh, she's been getting syringes left and right in her lips. And so then it became this huge trend. But I think people are starting to fade away from the huge, huge lips and just want more of plumpness and, you know, the, like, softer pout or more protruded, protruded, I can't even say that word, protruded? <laughs> yeah, sure. Protruded lips. So um, let us talk about that right now. But I want to hear what are some common trends that you're seeing when people come in? Like, what, do they want the Kylie Jenner lips or no? Rarely, very rarely, which I appreciate. Most people do not want to look like Kylie Jenner, and they say that they do not, that they might want a little bit more volume. And a lot of times I'm getting photos of bloggers Mm -hmm. or celebrities that just look like they've had a subtle enhancement. Um, And almost I think people want a little bit more of a hydrated lip as you age your lips get kind of more wrinkly and dry looking. Mm -hmm. And so kind of just filling them out, hydrating a little bit. Most of the time, well, I would say a lot of the time, people really like the shape of their lips in general. They just think they're really small. So you can retain your natural lip shape and add a little bit more volume to it without trying to change it so much and look like someone completely different. We are still limited somewhat by your natural anatomy, um, the way your mouth moves, your lips themselves. But, you know, you can you can achieve the look you want or the look you don't want. I think it's important you come to your injector with photos of things you like and things you don't like and then have a frank discussion of what's possible for me. A lot of this is a kind of slow growth with the lips. So, you know, if someone comes to me with really, really tiny upper lip, then I'm not going guns blazing with a huge product that's Mm going to make them too big because I want to grow them and shape them in a way that they're not just going to look so full and fake. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are definitely techniques we can use to enhance a Cupid's bow if you don't have one or flip out a little bit more of the lip that's hiding in your mouth. Um, Or if you just have a great shape and you want hydration, 
you know, we have such a big portfolio now of different products to use for different mm-hmm. things. If you really are looking for some more voluminous lips, then Juvederm Ultra Plus is a great option for you. Um, I think, you know, the gateway drug for me, for a lot of people, is Juvederm Ultra, which gives you a nice fullness and hydration without, like, too much of a puffy look. Um, Restylane can be used in lips as well. So you've got tons of options. Um, and so you just kind of ease into it. Most people are getting their lips done about every six months. Okay. Um, and like I said, it's made of hyaluronic acid, so it'll naturally break down over time. Your cheeks, like I said, a year to a year and a half, nasal labial folds, I'd say more like nine months to a year, and then your lips about every six months. So, And some people, as you get subsequent treatments, it tends to last a little bit longer each time. Um, but that first that first go, you know, especially because people are nervous, you kind of start with less and then get a little bit bigger. So some places will offer you a half syringe if you just want to start with that. When we're talking about different syringes, just so everyone realizes how small these amounts really are, one syringe is one milliliter. A teaspoon has five milliliters. Oh, wow. So we're not talking about very much product, and, and it does make a big difference. But if you think of that, you're using a fifth of a teaspoon. So in cheeks, someone with really thick cheeks already, you know, you need a little bit more than maybe a half a teaspoon on each side or mm-hmm. a half of a a tenth of a teaspoon technically right. to get some lift. So a half of a syringe, I think, with people with really small mouths and really small lips is a great option to kind of get started. But most of the time, those people are back within three or four months ready for a little bit more. Um, but one syringe is generally not too much for most people. Can you do too much where it, this literally seems silly, but I've thought about this, where the lip would bust open? <laughs> so if you have a really thin upper lip and someone's like, I want two syringes in my upper lip, I'm sure you'd be like, that's crazy. No, but let's say they're like, no, I'm dead set. I want to look like Kylie Jenner. Will that affect the lip? You know what I mean? Like, So there- no injector is going to put two syringes in at one sitting. Okay. Um, it might be, I, I do have a couple patients who do want the Kylie Jenner lips. When they come to me with very small lips to start, I explain to them, we are going to have to stretch your tissues over time to allow them to accommodate for that product. The reason your lips are pink is because they're very vascular. There's lots of blood vessels in there. And so when I put product in there and you start swelling, you know, if you put too much, not that your lips would bust, but the risk would be more that it could compromise the blood flow to your lips because there's too much in there and the pressure could be too much for the blood vessels. So you don't want any tissue death to your lips. I think that would be the biggest risk if you're going too much. That doesn't mean that you can't have two syringes. Mm -hmm. It just means you're going to start with one and you might come back in a month or two and we grill them a little bit more. But I'm going to feel your lips at that point. I'm going to make sure that they are soft and that there's room to put more Mm -hmm. because I'm not going to put them in a space that I don't think there's enough room for and then potentially risk your tissues. Right. Where do you inject in the lips? Because I've seen people, you know, I watch so many videos now and I've seen like above the lip, in the lip, around the border where you're not even on the lip. Like why so many different places? What do they all do? So it all is about the look that you're trying to achieve. Um, This is a gel. It is moldable, but you can't dump it all in the middle of the bottom lip and then just mash it around and hope that it looks good. Um, So some people want to line their lips a little bit more, get more definition to the line of the lips. And you can do that if you're injecting right into the lip line itself. Um, Most of the products should be going into the pink of the lip. Um, And most of it should be done. What's a natural ratio is 40-60. It's kind of like the golden ratio for lips where... 
40% of the volume is in the top and 60 in the bottom. It's a little trendy now to do more of a 50-50 lip, mm-hmm. but I don't really think that they should ever be bigger on the top than they are on the bottom. That's going to be a dead giveaway that you have, yeah. you have filler and not good filler. Um, and so you can use different techniques for different things. So if you've seen online, I, I watch a lot. I do a lot of this myself where you kind of, we call it lip tenting. You're going in and kind of going down into the lip from above that's going to pull the lip up and give a little bit more flip to the lip Mm. Um, if someone has nice big lips and just wants a little bit more volume I'm just injecting right into the pink of the lip multiple spots along the way and kind of overall giving some volume but whether you want to enhance your cupid's bow or you need a lip line or this the center of your lip is really full but the corners are really empty it's all about customizing it for the look you want to achieve got it yeah how bad does it hurt? Because <laughs> online, I swear, I'm like, people must be screaming in the office. I'm assuming you numb it. But what do you see the pain rate on a scale of like 1 to 10? What do you? What are your customers or patients, excuse me, say that the pain level is? So all of the products do have lidocaine in them. So everyone knows lidocaine is a numbing agent. Okay. So some places don't numb you at all and just start injecting you and say it's going to start numbing when it's in there. I think that's really mean to do to someone in their lips. Your lips are the most sensitive place on your face. That's why they're good for kissing. They're not good for needles. So it's painful to inject your lips. Um, But you do have some options when it comes to pain control. I always tell my patients we can either use the numbing cream, which is um, a prescription of uh, really strong numbing. So I let that sit on for like 15 minutes so they're feeling nice and numb. Um, Or we can do a dental block. So we're actually putting lidocaine like a little bit in each of you know in four spots in your gums it's going to numb your whole mouth so you don't feel anything at all that's not painful to do the dental block itself Um, and so that's an option for someone who's really nervous or who doesn't like pain i mean personally that's what i had done when i had my lips because you're telling me i have an option not to feel this sign me up yeah (laughs) Um, but some people really hate the sensation of their whole mouth being numb and so they prefer the numbing cream I've never had someone tell me, stop, I can't do this, this is too much, even with the numbing cream. Um, I think if, as long as you're using numbing cream, you're going to be pretty good and it's going to be worth it. You're going to be ready for me to stop poking you, Yeah. but you know, it, it's pretty, it is pretty tolerable. Um, your injector also, depending on how many times they're poking you, they should be changing their needle. So just like a knife, you know, they say like the sharpest knife is the least painful. Same mm-hmm. with a needle. Mm-hmm. After I poked you a few times and that needle starts to dull, it's going to be a little bit more painful. So mm-hmm. if I'm switching my needle out, then it's going to be a little bit less painful. So I tend to switch it two or three times while I'm doing lips just right. to help with the patient comfort as well. And I was just thinking about pain control control too on other areas of your face because with Botox, I don't get numbing cream because I it does not hurt to me at all. It feels less than like a paper cut hurts to me more. And totally, I'm a wax honest. is like way worse. Oh my than gosh, Botox. if you get any wax or even if you get your eyebrows waxed, that is ten times more painful than Botox. What about the um, under eyes and the cheeks and anything like that? Are there any other numbing areas outside of the lips? Um, sometimes I'll numb around like nasolabial folds or marionette lines, which are kind of like at the corners of the mouth as they come down, just because things around the mouth get sensitive. The cheeks typically don't need numbing. Um, if if you're really nervous, absolutely, we could put some on. Um, the under eyes definitely don't need numbing. Um, it's I use the, actually the same syringes that I used to do your Botox to do under eyes. So yeah. tiny little pokes, it's not going very far. But the mouth is just sensitive, um, and that's why I think that's an important discussion to have. But it's tolerable, and we can make it comfortable for you so that it's not that's not what's stopping you from doing something that you really are interested in doing. Got it. And then back to lips really quick. You said people should definitely bring in pictures of what they don't want. So 
I'm thinking of people off the bat, like Kylie Jenner, Brielle Berman, all these people have literally like balloon lips. But what about if they do want something and then their shape is totally different? What do you tell them? Like, that's just unrealistic or we can get you there in terms of the volume, but it's not going to have that shape because I think that's a mistake people make. Like, I want Margot Robbie's lips, but she has a different lip shape. She has different lip shape. So what do you tell those patients? Well, I say, what is it about this this lip you like? Okay. And then we have a frank discussion with a mirror in front of them and say, this is what I think we can do. And this is what I think we can do on your first treatment. And then once we start shaping, this is what I think you can expect for your subsequent treatment. So sometimes it's a process and we actually can get there. And sometimes it's like you're never going to have that lip because you're, you're just not built that way. But I can still, if you really like the volume of them, then let's work on that. Or you really like the Cupid's bow, then we can totally focus on that. So we work within the limitations that, you know, nature's given you, but you can, you can do some pretty cool stuff. Just, I think you need to go to someone who's going to be honest with you. Who's going to look at what you want just as much as what you don't want and listen to that. And like I said, be prepared for a couple days. I always tell my patients, you're going to wake up tomorrow and think, what the fuck did I do? Even if we're doing a natural lift. And the next morning, you're still going to have this like, oh, shit, did I make a mistake? And then by the end of that day, you start feeling better. The next day, you're feeling pretty good. You're liking them. Same thing the next day. By the time all the swelling's gone, most people liked it somewhere in between. And then I've got them hooked because they're going to want more. I was going to say, I feel like all my friends that have gotten the lip injections immediately want them bigger. (laughs) Is that something that you're seeing? Or do people freak out and they're like, oh, my gosh, I've done too much? Or is it really situational? Uh, Usually the next day they think it's too much. But once the swelling's down, yeah, most people want a little bit more. And it is so, it's like watching a puppy grow. You know, you you can't really quantify how much they're growing every day. But you look at a picture and you're like, oh, my God, two weeks ago you were so much smaller. Right. Lips are very similar where people forget what they looked like before. So they'll come back to me at four months and say, it's all gone. I need more. And then we do it before and after comparison it's not all gone but sure you want more let's do it right but um yeah it's really easy when you get used to that plump fullness and the freshness to kind of all of a sudden when they start to go down you're a little disappointed you want that you want pout, that pout that back once. yeah and let's say that after the swelling they don't like them and they're like these are too big i'm not really happy can you dissolve the lips too? absolutely okay quickly so dissolving involves more needle pokes um but there is an antidote to filler and it works within 24 hours typically um and so you can you can absolutely have them dissolved out this is another silly question but let's say you get them really big and then you dissolve them is it the same thing as like if you gain weight and your stomach stretches and then you have like stretch marks or rolls is your lip shape now different? No, it shouldn't okay. be at all. Because we're not using a ton, right? I'm never going to inject someone with more than one syringe per treatment mm-hmm. in their lips. So, it, you know, you might get swollen. And like I said, when you get your lips done, after the swelling goes down, you're often very chapped because they've gotten really full and then down. Aquaphor is the best for all of you girls out there. <laughs> um, Aquaphor is the best for that chapped feeling. But no, they'll just break down over time and go back to their own shape. You'd have to have crazy things happening in there to... Uh, to really stretch them out and make them loose or have them giant for years and years and years. Right. Um, You know, the people who, the few patients I've seen who have lips that are alarming and I don't want people to even see them walking out of my room are people who had silicone injected years and years ago. But hyaluronic acid fillers, I mean, if it's, if it's done right, it, it can look awesome. And to be clear, like Botox is not something you put in your lips because that's not a filler. Correct. That's a neurotoxin. It's a neurotoxin. However, like I said, we can do that little lip flip occasionally. Or so we used to call them smokers lines, um, 
but a lot of people don't just call them barcode lines or I just mm. call them upper lip lines. Besides just smokers, runners who are pursing their lips a lot kind of get these lines on the top of their lips. Yep. You can fill those too. Obviously, you're going to use a very thin fillers because you don't want to make a fat upper lip above there. Or you can do a little bit of Botox in there too to kind okay. of soften that. So if you have anyone that's or your grandmother, your mom, starting to feel like their lip liners kind of running up mm-hmm. or their lipstick into there, you can try either a little combination of Botox or, or fillers with that. Got it. And the last thing is Kybella. Oh, yeah. That is your double chin. I saw this recently. I think a podcast host actually got it, but I heard it is one of the most painful injections because you're literally melting fat. Can you explain what it is and how it works? Yeah. So Kybella is deoxycholic acid injections. It is chemical liposuction. So it will destroy the fat cells. Um, We like to say, you know, enjoy the swelling because that means it's working. Um, But you do have quite an inflammatory response to having that injected in there because it starts working right away and it starts, you know, kind of destroying those fat cells and your body takes some time to clear them once it's in there. So, you know, it's kind of normal to look like fat bastard from Austin Powers for a couple days um, where you're, you're quite full. We kind of call it like a bullfrog look Mm -hmm. Um, for a few days after the injections, you're going to have, be, more full winter's a great time to do this because you can wrap a scarf around your neck um but honestly the swelling then can continue for a few weeks where you feel fuller not to the point necessarily that other people think that you look fuller but you're definitely not going to feel skinnier for a while um really to see results of kybella you need to have at least two treatments Mm. so by the time you come back for your second treatment six to eight weeks after your first injections you're going to have another inflammatory period um usually not as bad as the first one um but definitely a little bit fuller and then after the second maybe you know four weeks after that you should start seeing an improvement to the the area under the chin they're starting to use kybella off label and other areas as well so besides just under the chin people are trying it for the drop the jowling on the face um and for the armpit fat here um so i've seen it used for like buffalo humps as well back fat everywhere fupa i'm kidding you not no (laughs) oh my gosh so um but you have to be ready for some of that swelling um and and it's definitely a process kybell is expensive and it's an investment for but for people who don't actually want to go under the knife and have liposuction i think it's an awesome treatment the results are permanent Mm. those fat cells are destroyed um you know if you then go out and eat a cake every night for 20 months or something Mm -hmm. you know you're going to create new fat cells right but um those fat cells are actually destroyed altogether and a lot of people have this genetic little fat pad under their chin that there's their normal weight they haven't fluctuated at all but they just have this like little little thing under there i think similar to the Kylie Jenner phenomenon with what happened to lip filler selfies are making this thing out of control because people are seeing themselves from other angles that they're not used to and they're seeing that double chin and thinking oh shit what am I going to do so it is a great treatment it works really well but you just have to be patient with it your results are not going to be immediate and there's some downtime with it and thinking of the difference between like actual fat under your chin and then what if you just have droopy skin like I'm thinking of like a, a rooster or a hen and they just oh, have yeah, that, like, you know what I mean? 
does it help with skin tightening? It does. It does help with skin laxity a little bit. Although if you have your skinny old grandma with just like this turkey neck yeah. that comes to see me and she doesn't have fat to dissolve, I'm not going to recommend Kybella. Right. Maybe you start getting some laser treatments or some, you know, skin tightening or something like that, old therapy, ultrasound. But, um, you know, but it will actually tighten the skin as well. So as it destroys the fat, it kind of lifts it up. There's a rumor that Khloe Kardashian was being approached with being um, a Kybella spokesperson and that she received a lot of treatments and that's well, to uh, that's why her jawline looks so good now. Yeah. So I can't say that that's true, but um, I would believe that. that's what I they heard. Have everything in the book, but I mean they look good. Yep. Right. <laughs> Are there any other insights or tips that new patients should think about when they come into an injector, especially um, you? Um, look up your injector on Yelp. Um, talk to them. If you don't feel comfortable, you should leave. Uh, make sure you know what kind of look you're going for. Some things that if you're really excited about your lip filler or getting a treatment done, um, there are some things that could make you not a candidate on that day that I think can really be disappointing for people. So, you know, you want to avoid blood thinners for a few days before a filler treatment. So that means no Advil, aspirin, Motrin, Aleve, ibuprofen fish oils for a few days beforehand. So if anticipation of pain, you just took a bunch of Aleve, then not really the best day to get injected because your bruising is going to be a lot worse. Um, and if you're okay with the bruising, then that's your choice. But um, someone might say it's not the best time for you to get injected. Um, if you're actively sick, you shouldn't be coming in to get injected yeah. um, because your immune system's already kind of working overdrive. If you have a skin infection in the area that you want injected, you shouldn't be coming in. Um, another thing that you could think about is if you are prone to cold sores mm -hmm. and you want to get your lips done, you should call the office a couple days before your treatment and um, ask for an antiviral prescription. So if you don't have anything like Valtrex at home, typically the office will write you for like a five-day treatment. You start the day before your injections and continue taking, you know, the day of and then for three days following because lip injections can be a pretty stressful event for the lips. And so people who have, haven't had a cold sore in 10 years might actually get one, wow. which is the last thing you want. You have these beautiful new lips. Yeah. So um, that's, I think, a nice little... Thing to put in your back pocket when you're getting injected you're not going to be able to work out that day so get your workout in in the morning and then depending on the time that you like to go to bed we like people to stay upright for about three hours after their injections and be normally expressive you can put on makeup and moisturizer you can wash your face but no aggressive rubbing or pressing i don't mm -hmm. want you riding your bike to a treatment this happens in the summer a lot wow. people show up with their helmets I was an ICU nurse. I want you wearing that helmet, but I don't want to put Botox in your forehead and then have you put that on there. So, right. um, yeah, you're going to avoid pressure. You're not going to go get a massage, something like that right afterwards. Right. And then you can just be gentle with your skin and wait for the magic to happen. Awesome. Well, I hope everyone learned so much today. I've been getting Botox for about a year now. Um, so even in this quick hour i feel like it flew by uh, i've learned so much so where can people actually find you if they want to come specifically to you so spa derma is in lincoln park in chicago you can ask for me when you call to book um, you can find us online i think it is just spaderma.com um, you can also find me on instagram if you want to see some of my before and afters of my patients um, it's my maiden name sort of so it's at ellison e-l-l-i-s-o-n underscore aesthetic so e-s-t-h-e-t-i-c-s 
um, and you can find some of my work and um, come in for a free consultation if you just want to sit down and talk about your options, how much it would cost for the look that you're coming to achieve. I'm happy to have that conversation with you as well. Awesome. And that's definitely a tip I would highly recommend is look at Instagram because that's basically their online portfolio. And if you can see if someone's doing Kylie Jenner lips, that's probably what they specialize in. And like I said, check check out Michelle because she does very conservative and she's awesome. 